on him. Uh, I'm going to start. Yeah, sparklers are dismissed. It's so funny. When the sparklers get dismissed, it's like half of this place empties out. It's good. It's good. God's given us some children. I love it. Um, I'm going to start a little bit off my notes um, this morning. I just, the Lord was really speaking to me during worship. Um, and I've been talking to Chris Webb too, and, and I really believe that God is, is leading us as a church in, into a time of just refocus, in, in a time of recentering and realigning on Him and His Word um, again, so so that that our rudder is fixed in the right position. It is fixed on Jesus and Jesus alone. And, and with all of the things that are going on in the world today, um, and especially when they involve Israel. Um, you, and, and all of the all of the rhetoric and all of the speculation that comes on, right? You just can't help but think a little bit about your mortality. You, you can't just help but think a little bit about what does the end of times look like. Um, and, and hopefully, if you're like me, you take a moment of introspection and you say, "Am I ready?" Am I ready? You see, when once the battle has begun, that's not the time to put on your armor. Now is the time of preparation, says the Lord, to this body. Now is the time to dig into his word like never before. Now is the time to dig into his presence like never before. I'm going to turn to Matthew 25. We're just going to go right off the notes, aren't we, Lord? Okay? Would you all like to hear what the Lord has to say or what I have to say? Let's hear it. Every time. Every time, especially when Ray teaches. I think this is vital. I think this is vital for us in this moment. God has given me a heart for the five foolish virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. They were so looking forward to the bridegroom. They've been waiting their whole lives to meet the bridegroom. All ten of them. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. God, let us not be a people that sleeps. Let us not be a people that get drowsy and get distracted. Keep us awake and keep us sober. But, but at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. The reason we've gone through all of this trial, all of this suffering, all of the mess of this sinful world is to meet the bridegroom and feast with him. And he's here. And they say, come out to meet him. Verse 7, then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, 
saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. We were waiting for you. We've been following you. We've been doing what you commanded. We've been casting out demons in your names. We've been seeing miracles. Lord, Lord, let us in. Verse 12, but he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is a wake-up call. But what you're seeing in the world today is a wake-up call. It's a mandate to stay focused on the gospel mission that has been given to us from the days of Jesus. It's no time for speculation. It's no time for uh, political gerrymandering and, and political positioning. This is the, the stakes are eternal. This is not a game that we're playing. This is a battle not against flesh and blood, but about powers and principalities. This is about God's final plan for redemption and restoration for the entire of humanity. And so we must be ready. Our, our lamps must be full of oil. That oil comes in the presence of the Lord. That comes not from theoretically or theologically knowing God. It comes from experientially and relationally knowing Him. If you have been playing the game of religion, play no more. The time for playing is over, says the Lord. It is time to be a church that is serious about the things of God, that is serious about eternity, and that is serious about the fact that God has equipped us and given us the authority. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness to be an active and effective part of that kingdom plan. So that is our call today. As a church. The Lord gave me a, um, just got up early this morning and, and um, spent some time with the Lord in, in preparation for the morning. Not with my notes, just, just crawling up in the lap of the Father. I said, Lord, what would you, what would you speak to your people today? And, and he was just, he was speaking to me all throughout worship. I, I just feel that so many of us in this room feel like we have been asleep, feel like we have missed it, feel like we've, we've spoiled our chance, that we've wasted too many years and now we're too old and we've missed it, and, and, and I'm just going to ride this thing out. That is not what God is calling you to today. He is calling you up where He is, seated in the heavenlies, to begin walking in the authority of Jesus Christ that he has given to you, to begin shining with the glory of Jesus Christ. When you walk into a room, darkness should shudder and darkness should flee. When, it, when, when people in the community say, well, what church are you at? And I tell them, fireworks. 
right? Fireworks is a very interesting name for a church, and I've had to explain it a number of times. And finally, the Lord gave me something, and last week this lady comes up and she says, no, oh, what, what church are you? I said, Fireworks Church. She goes, ooh, that's a, that's a cool name. And, I, and the Lord told me to say this. He said, yeah, um, when you see our people out in the community, you better hear them and see them. Just like fireworks flashing across the sky. If fireworks are going off in Bernie, you can see them and you can hear them. Sometimes you can even smell them. I want people to know when, when members of Fireworks Church step out of these four walls and represent Jesus Christ. That is our calling and that is our mission. A few weeks ago, uh, let, me, let me say one more thing. I, I'm trying to get to the notes. I think we're going to get to the notes eventually. So I crawled up in the, in the lap of the Father and... Um, And even in worship, he said, there's, there's some in this room, there's some in this body who feel overlooked, who feel like they've been following Jesus, who, who feel like they've been following the call of Christ in their life, and they just haven't seen any traction, and they haven't seen the, the fruit that they want, and um, it, they, they've been obedient, and, and they've been obedient for a long time, and it's really just not how they pictured it, and um, there, there's a there's a there's a tiredness and, and in some cases th there's an exhaustion and um, the Lord gave me a, a picture of a dandelion and I just I just began to picture that that yellow flower and the, and then I got confused in my mind and I thought wait a minute wait is is the dandelion the the yellow flower or is it the you know the, the 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 thing that you you blow and the and the things go everywhere, so I so I had to I had to get on my phone much like your birch tree uh, thing right I had to get on the, on Google and remind myself from the the seventh grade science class that I slept through uh, what what is a dandelion, and and I felt like the I felt like the Lord was saying speak this to the church this morning. The the dandelion is that yellow flower. And it functions much like the sun. Every day, it blooms out, and every night, it shuts back up. And then every day, it presents itself before the Lord, and then rests. It presents itself before the Lord, and then rests, right? And, and, and it's, it's really a weed. And, and so this, this <laughs> we love weeds, we love weeds. Their last name is Weed. <laughs> So just so everybody knows, that was not a weird, weird part of the service. Weeds, uh, we love weeds, plural. Um, but every day, this, this commonly, this oftenly overlooked flower just opens and closes and, and, and is so steady and faithful in its obedience to present itself to the Lord, and it gets no recognition. And then one time... The, those, those flowers, they close up for the last time. And it takes about one and a half, two weeks. And then they open again, and that's when the bulb of, of over 200 seeds forms. And then just the, they're so light that the lightest breath sends it up into the wind and carries it wherever the Lord would go. 
And so the seed that the Lord has planted in you, the words of reconciliation and hope that he has given to you to speak to this dying and hurting world, they will not die with you. Remain faithful. Continue presenting yourself to the Lord day after day. He will send a fresh wind, and your word will go forth, and it will be effective, and it will root. It will root for the next generation. Receive that word. Your time is not over. It is not too late. The Lord is, will honor your faithfulness, and he is sending his fresh wind. Amen? Amen. Um, God stirred my heart. I'm going to cook through this now. God stirred my heart a few weeks ago to teach on the biblical concept of, of jubilee, the, the year of jubilee that God established for the people of Israel. Um, and, and I want to teach on it and how it specifically applies to us as New Testament believers, as, as those who are under the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Um, so how, how many of you understand what jubilee is? So there's a smattering of hands. Um, it is okay that you don't know what Jubilee is. Jubilee is outlined in Leviticus 25. And the significance of that um, is that it's after Leviticus 3. And you may not remember, but Leviticus 3 is where you gave up on your read through the Bible in a year plan. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or, or if you're, if you're uh, more religious, uh, which is not a good thing, then the next, you just skipped a few, cha a few books ahead to Joshua, right? Let me get back in the narrative. Let me get back in the historical books. Um, but, but, but Jubilee is outlined and mandated by God for the nation of Israel in Leviticus um, 25. Uh, the reason we want to study it this morning is because Jesus himself proclaims himself as the agent of ultimate and eternal jubilee. Amen? So that's why God's calling us to this topic this morning. Uh, the, the first thing that we're going to learn today, I'm just going to give you kind of the main points up front so you can kind of filter the message through these points. Uh, we will learn today that jubilee is a call to radical rest, trusting in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this, with, um, with all that's going on in the world that we don't understand, right, um, about the end of times and about prophecy, how many of us need a reminder that there is radical rest found in Jesus Christ? Jubilee, as we will learn this morning, is a call to radical relationships. As we love like Jesus Christ and forgive like Jesus Christ and serve like Jesus Christ, he will begin to transform how we interact with people. Our relationships will be marked by radical forgiveness, radical love, radical service. It won't make sense to the world. And how many of us in this room have relationships that we need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and ask Him to do a work of reconciliation and restoration and redemption. Not, not, not striving to fix the relationship ourselves, but submitting it to that radical rest found in trusting Jesus Christ. And, and that's our third point. Jubilee is God's design for the restoration of all things. Everything that was broken and marred and twisted in the fall when sin entered the world, 
God's design is to set us free from all of it, to put it all back to rights, to restore it like it was in the garden. Amen? We, are, we, we started in the garden, and we will finish in the garden city, the new Jerusalem, coming down on Mount Zion in the new heavens and the new earth. God is a God who doesn't give up on his creation. He does not give up on us in humanity. He restores us to his original design and order, and that is what Jubilee is. We'll get to it. So the first thing God does is he establishes time and order and rhythms, right? At the, at the very beginning of Scripture, we see God at work. We see a God who delights in his work. We see a God who is creative in his work, right? In chapters 1 through 3, he begins, begins separating things. He begins separating light from darkness. He begins separating the, the heavens above from the heavens below. He begins separating the, the land from the sea. And then in chapters 4 through 6, he begins filling those environments with things that he created, right? He fills the, the, the heavens the, the night and the day with the sun and the moon. He, he fills the lower heavens with the birds of the air. He fills the land with animals and the sea with all kinds of crazy creatures, right? And on day six, he would create us. And he would tell us to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all the earth. But on the seventh day, he removed himself from work. He rested. He, he, he went from a God who works to a God who rests. And he wants us to see that. In fact, he enjoys rest so much. He's not tired, but he enjoys rest so much that he consecrated the seventh day and made it holy, saying, you shall rest. Why? Because we can, in order to be in relationship with him, we need to be in rest. So he establishes this seven-day cycle of work for six days, and on the seventh day, rest. How many of you know that rest is more than simply ceasing from work? I, I'm guilty of this so often. So often I think if I'm, not, I'm just not working, that I'm resting. And, and then Monday comes back comes back rolling back around, and I'm like, I am exhausted. What is going on, right? Um, Sabbath rest is actively delighting in the presence of the Lord and the provision of the Lord as we deepen our relationship with Him. You know how you fill your, oil, your lamps with oil? You rest with Him. You, yeah. Absolutely. Sabbath rest is actively delighting in the presence of the Lord and the provision of the Lord as we deepen our relationship with the Lord. That's how we fill our lamps. We Sabbath with Him and in Him. We rest with Him and in Him, getting to know Him better. How much of your time with the Lord is built on the accrual of knowledge? Versus the deepening of a relationship with him. When we talk about how important these last days are, that's what we're talking about. Casting off religion. Casting off works. Getting into God's word. Not to know it in your head, 
but get, getting in it because it's living and active and breathing and useful for everything, and it will introduce you to the God who created you and saved you and loves you and sustains you and wants to speak to you. And then you're going to begin hearing his voice, and then you're going to learn to obey his voice, and then it's going to get wild and crazy and awesome, and you're going to get addicted to it, and God's going to use you more and more. Then he's going to start giving you a word of knowledge. Then he's going to start giving you a prophetic word. Then you're going to be praying for healing over people, and then you're just going to start to see your community change because God working through you. He wants to work through everybody in this room. But we've got, before we work, we've got to learn to rest. You know, it hates rest. Religion hates rest. Rest is built on trust. We're not, when we're not working, we're trusting that the Lord will cause the growth, that the Lord will bring the increase, that the Lord will provide. Many of you will do great things in the power of your own might in this world. You will build great businesses and you will make a lot of money. But you are missing the boat, I promise. One of my greatest friends and mentors is a, is a builder. And he has dedicated his work to the Lord. It is established in God's economy, not his. It is established for the purpose and the building up of God's kingdom and not his. And God is blessing it beyond measure. And that doesn't raise up a man, it raises up Jesus, it raises up the kingdom. And so we start thinking about 30 and 60 and 100 fold. This is what God has for his people. A life filled with fruitful work. But this man knows how to rest in God. This man knows Jesus. They walk in the cool of the day together. They commune both day and night. It's vital. So God establishes, i got to get moving. So God establishes this important precedent of Sabbath rest. He, he gives us a divine example of how he desires to be in relationship with us. And so the, uh, the, the seven-week cycle of, of, of working six days and resting on the seventh, um, th this establishes the, the week. It, it establishes the rhythm of our lives, right, and, and how we organize history into weeks and months and years and, and, and eras, right? And, and the entire story of the people of Israel throughout God's word would follow these sabbatical cycles, these cycles of seven. Uh, for, for six days, the Israelites would work, and on the seventh, they would rest, Shabbat. Uh, this cycle was established for years as well. For six years, the Israelites would plant and harvest in normal seasonal cycles, and then on the seventh year, they would let the land rest. And then after seven cycles of seven, seven Sabbath years, the Lord said, proclaim a year of Jubilee. And in fact, on this year of Jubilee, I'm going to take everything that I'm doing in this Sabbath year, this Sabbath year that, that establishes radical rest and radical relationships and radical restoration. I'm going to take that and I'm going to crank it up to 11, as we're about to see. So, so let's start with some verses. Um, to understand Jubilee, let's take a closer look at the normal sabbatical year. Um, you got that, Exodus 20? Great. Do you? Yes, you do. Um, Exodus 23, 10. There you go. Uh, for six years, you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. 
Then the poor among you, among your people, may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what they leave. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. See, the land is to rest in the sabbatical year. It's supposed to lay fallow in the sabbatical year. Um, during that year, the, the poor and the animals, they come and they, they, they eat their fill of the fruit that grows wildly from the vine. Even the poor in this instance have to rely that God is going to cause the growth in that year. But this is a year where they, they get to move from just gleaning from the corners of the field to having full access to the whole field, to the, to the whole crop. And then after they're done eating, after they get their fill, then the animals. This is about God's provision, not man's. Right. This is about restoring even the dignity of the poor to, 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 to the realization that their reliance is upon God and not man, that he loves them and that he cares for them. You see, the land rests from the stress of producing a crop. The people rest from the labor of cultivating and planting and tending and harvesting. The animals rest from the plowing and the hauling of grain. Uh, the poor rest knowing that their provision is in the Lord, but not planting for an entire year, not doing the job God designed you for for an entire year, because God wants you, him, you to trust in him for your provision. Men, think about not going to your job for a year if the Lord mandated that. If he said, come out and serve me, I'll provide. I know you have a family to provide for. Would you trust him? <laughs> oh, man. Woo, would you trust him? Radi that's radical rest. But radical rest requires ultimate trust. We think we have to work for everything. He, if he calls us, he will provide. He will provide. The sabbatical year also shows us God's design for, for radical relationships among his people. Exodus 21, 2. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. You see, Israelites who would, who would become grossly indebted or bankrupt would often sell themselves into slavery as a bondservant, right? But the Lord, with his chosen people Israel, he had already set them free from slavery in Egypt. It was not his design for them to go back in bondage. He would allow them to do that for six years to settle the debt that they had caused. But in that seventh year, they were to be released, God would not have his chosen people back in bondage. God's word says when he set them free from Israel, they became his servants. They became his slaves. Deuteronomy 15. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Now the Lord's dealing just with debt in general. He says, if you've lent to your brother and the Sabbath year comes, release the debt. Let it go. Don't make him pay you back. How many of, how many of you could not call Uncle Eddie in the seventh year and say, give me back what I lent you 12 years ago? 
This is a radical release of our finances. This doesn't make sense to our Western mind. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Not only is the land mine, not only are the people mine, the money is mine. It's all mine. You are are strangers in a foreign land passing through. This is not your home, says the Lord. I will provide for you like I provide for the sparrow. And see, the sabbatical year, I mean, it just shows crazy amounts of restoration. He's restoring the land. He's restoring the people. He's restoring the animals. He's restoring dignity and freedom to those who had lost it for whatever reason. And all of this is in the regular sabbatical year. And then, and then every seven times seven years, every 50th year, the Israelites were to declare a year of jubilee. Uh, Leviticus 25, verses 8 through 12. Now read this carefully because it's going to set the foundation for what we're going to climax on this morning. Leviticus 25, 8 through 12. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that, the, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seven month. On the day of atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, which each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. And there, there's two distinctive Hebrew terms for the word jubilee here. The, the, the first is yobel, jobel, right? It's where the, where the term jubilee comes from. And it literally means ram's horn. On the day of atonement, that's key, don't miss this. On the day of atonement, when the sins of Israel were covered by the, sacrifice, by, by the blood sacrifice and pushed forward another year, on that day when men were reconciled to God, the, the jubilee horn would blow. And, and on that 50th year, this jubilee period would start. And, and, and God requires everything that happened in the Sabbath year to happen in this Jubilee year. But in the 50th year, if you ever sold your land, it comes back to you. It comes back to you according to how it was passed out when the inheritance of Canaan, when the inheritance of the promised land was first passed out after the conquest of Canaan. God restores everything to his perfect divine order, to his perfect design in this 50th year. So so you didn't really buy or sell land in ancient Israel. If it was a couple years from the Jubilee, that means you only had two seasons of crops before you'd lose the land again. So you were really just buying two crops, right? And if there were 40 years before the next Jubilee, then the land would be much more expensive because you've got 40 years worth of crops. Does that make sense? So, so, so God says, in that year, you will return the divine design and, des- and order that I have established for the land. Now listen to this. Um, there's very little biblical evidence that the Israelites really ever practiced this. Um, 
Uh, there's mention in Nehemiah that the, of the Sabbath year and some of the faithfulness around Nehemiah and the, and the, and the rebuilding of the wall. But um, imagine, imagine, go back to that, to that question that I asked you, men, right? Would you give up your job for the whole year? That's a big ask. That, that's a tough thing to do, to trust God in such a radical way. But that's what he was asking them to do. But they couldn't do it. And it's actually listed as one of the reasons why, why the day of the Lord would fall on them and the Assyrians would attack. And another day of the Lord would come and the Babylonians would lead them into exile. And, and another day of the Lord would come and, and, and uh, Jerusalem would be sacked by Rome in A.D. 70 and the destruction of the temple would occur. Because they didn't follow this decree of Jubilee the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, would come. And so there needed to be one who could usher in this divine design, who could proclaim jubilee in, in, a, in an ultimate and eternal way. And in Isaiah 61, jubilee is represented eschatologically. It, it, it's represented as this eternal, eternal and ultimate environment uh, where God will rule and reign and put everything back to right that was broken from the fall. In Isaiah, you got that, uh, John? In Isaiah 61, we're going to only do one through four. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of morning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Church, this is God's plan for the restoration of all things. In God's ultimate jubilee, those who are bound in prison by the shackles of their sin will be set free. In the year of the Lord's favor, those who are held captive by the deeds of the flesh will be offered liberty. In the ultimate jubilee, those who mourn will be comforted. Those who mourn in their sin will be comforted by a perfect sin offering. Those who mourn because they are cut off from a holy God will be comforted by righteousness that leads to reconciliation. Everything that lies in ashes, burned up by injustice and evil, will be fashioned into a crown for those who finish the race. Those who sorrow in their sin will be bathed in the oil of gladness those whose spirit has grown weary who is faint they will be clothed with a garment of praise in this jubilee you will no longer be like a bruised reed that bows to the winds of this world god says you will be a planting of the lord an oak of righteousness that is strong and will last 
last. How many of us feel like a bruised weed just flailing in the wind, being tossed to and fro by the winds of this world? That is not God's design for us. Those who are found in Christ are to be a planting of the Lord, an oak of righteousness. Why? That he may be glorified. And in Luke chapter 4, we see this become a reality. Jesus, having just withstood the temptation of the devil, of the devil, returns with Holy Spirit, resting and remaining on him, and visits his hometown of Nazareth to the synagogue to teach. Now listen to this. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they stood in amazement. Jesus Christ was the only one anointed who could read from the scroll of Isaiah and say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. How awesome is that he had just finished his temptation in the wilderness. And we know when he was baptized in the river by John that the Spirit descended like a dove and remained on him, empowering him to go out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, to, to, to throw proper scripture back in the devil's face and to withstand the temptation of the enemy. And then it says, then with the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, he returns to Nazareth and says, look, I'm the one who can usher in jubilee. I'm the only one who can create an environment where the captives are set free, where liberty is not just temporal, but it's eternal. I am establishing my jubilee in this earth. It will be the ultimate jubilee, and it will be the eternal jubilee. In fact, in the Qumran text in the Dead Sea Scrolls in, in, in 11Q Melchizedek, right, that's just for you, he will proclaim, it says this, he will proclaim to them jubilee, thereby releasing them from the debt of all their sins. He is the agent of jubilee. He's launching a jubilee era. But here's what I want us to notice. Where did he, what was the final thing he said from the scroll of Isaiah? Let's go back to um, verse 19. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he closes the scroll and puts it back. Well, let's go back to Isaiah 61. Can you go back to Isaiah 61, John? I'll go back there too. Um, keep going. Okay. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's where Jesus stops in Luke 4. In fact, in my translation, there's a comma there. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, comma. 
In Luke 4, Jesus puts a period there. Well, why did he do that? What's next? What do we read next? And the day of vengeance for our God. Jesus was not coming in that moment to declare the day of vengeance. He was coming to declare the year of the Lord's favor. This jubilee era, this season where we have work to do, where through resting with Jesus Christ and finding our authority and our righteousness only in Him, we can be equipped and authorized to do this kingdom work, to set the captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind. This is our job. The, the Lord has said, proclaim this hope to a broken and hurting and lost world. We're no, how many of us, this doesn't line up with the message of hope that we preach. One of, one of the sad things about the state of the church today is that the message of hope that we preach usually ends with transactional salvation. And then props up religion to do the rest. The rest of the work of sanctification. Jesus says, this is not the way. Because the day of vengeance is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. There will be a day that where God comes like a thief in the night. There, there will be a day when he snatches us up to meet him in the air and ushers us back in to the new heavens and the new earth. There will be a day where the wrath of God is poured out on all sin and all of those whose names are not found in the Lamb's book of life. But until that day comes, church, we are called to preach jubilee. Until that day comes, church, we are called to be a jubilee people, setting captives free, binding up the brokenhearted, giving sight to the blind, letting the oppressed go free. That is our call. That is our call. Will we be a church that does it? Will we be a church that does it?